Welcome to the Natural Curiosity Project. I'm Steve Shepard. Thank you for spending a few minutes with me. You know, I've always been curious. I don't know why, I just know that I am. I'm a writer and a teacher and a storyteller, and my job is to be curious, to ask questions and to share the answers. This program explores my belief that why, that simple three-letter question, is the most powerful question that any human has ever asked. Every time we ask it, we challenge ignorance and the status quo. This, I believe. Curiosity leads to discovery, discovery leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insight, and insight leads to understanding. Something that, let's face it, seems to be in short supply these days. So thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoy the program. Hi, Steve here. Thanks for listening. In 2006, I wrote a book that was published by McGraw-Hill called IMS Crash Course. IMS was an attempt to create a framework that would standardize the delivery of multimedia services like voice, video, data, music, and so on across the internet, since that seemed to be the direction we were going, and of course it was. IMS, which stood for IP Multimedia Subsystem, has now kind of faded into history for the most part, but the idea behind it has not. Now let me repeat. I wrote this book in 2006. That was 16 years ago. Just to create a little bit of context, let me tell you what else was going on in 2006. Nintendo released the Wii gaming platform in the United States, setting the stage for what came to be known as the console wars. Google purchased YouTube for $1.6 billion in stock. Apple began using Intel chips in the Mac. The one billionth song was purchased from iTunes. Widgets, not apps, were the thing, because the iPhone was still a year away from launch. Amazon launched Amazon Web Services. The verb to Google was added to dictionaries, and the technology world celebrated the 50th anniversary of the first artificial intelligence conference held at Dartmouth College. So let me tell you the story from this book. Dennis woke slowly to the incessant chime of his Palm Pilot at 6.15. There were times, like this one, when he hated the thing. Smart enough to note the 8 a.m. meeting in its database, the PDA automatically set an alarm to wake him on time for the meeting. Sitting up, Dennis removed the device from its cradle and checked the other entries on his schedule. Other than the flight to Madrid that afternoon, it was a fairly light day. Before placing the PDA back in its cradle, he used the stylus to bring up the device's applications list. Selecting an icon that looked like a coffee shop, he scrolled down and selected Brew from the list of options. As he walked into the shower, the Palm Pilot broadcast a signal to the coffee pot in the kitchen, which blinked on and began to fill the house with the smell of freshly brewed Costa Rican Lamanita coffee. Turning on the shower, Dennis brushed his teeth while waiting for the shower to get hot. A minute later, he got in, turned to the back wall, and said, NPR. Instantly, the voice of Bob Edwards filled the enclosure. He listened for about ten minutes while bathing, then as he shaved, said, Voicemail. After a brief delay, a disembodied voice responded, Office, nine messages. Mobile, two messages. Home, zero messages. Say yes to list the originators. Reaching for a bottle of aftershave, Dennis declined, saying instead, mobile. Within seconds, the messages collected for his mobile device began to play over the speakers in the bathroom. 
He responded to the first message, his voice picked up and transferred by the microphones in the room, but the second was a long, rambling message from a co-worker that contained detailed information that he needed for the meeting in Madrid the next day. Stop, he commanded, then save, text, PDA. The disembodied voice replied, message saved to Palm Pilot. File size 4K, you have 3.2 megabytes of storage remaining on your Palm Pilot. Dressed, he wandered into the kitchen. When the time came to leave for the office, he turned off the coffee pot, grabbed his mobile phone from the charger near the door, picked up his briefcase, and headed outside. Before leaving, he left a note for his wife, who was in California visiting family. He set his briefcase on the porch, then went back inside for his suitcase, packed the night before for his trip to Madrid that afternoon. As he walked to the car, his phone gave off a gentle beep. Looking at the screen, he watched as the display changed from leaving home base station to connected to Verizon wireless, followed by call forwarding home number to mobile. The system knew to do all of this because of his pre-recorded preferences stored somewhere deep in the network. As he drove down the main street of town, listening to NPR on the radio, lost in thought, Dennis's reverie was interrupted by the sudden ringing of his mobile phone. Answer phone, he instructed the device, and after a brief hesitation, the speaker activated and said, Good morning, Mr. McCooey. Today, whole bean Costa Rican Lamanita coffee is on sale at Speeder and Earl's for 30% off the normal price in quantities of a pound or more. To take advantage of this value, please turn right at the next corner and immediately turn right into our parking lot. If you'd like, press the pound key now and we'll have your usual order ready to go with a free cup of black coffee. Pressing the pound key, he followed the message's instructions, picked up the coffee, paid for it with his phone, and continued to the office where he parked in the lot, grabbed his briefcase, and headed inside. Approaching the door of the building, his phone once again gave a gentle beep, and he knew that it was connecting itself logically to the corporate PBX while automatically forwarding calls from his home and mobile numbers. As he greeted the security guard and approached the gate, the indicator light on the portal turned from red to green and clicked open. He passed through and headed to his office. At his desk, Dennis booted his PC, watching as windows came to life and eventually gave way as the screensaver photograph faded up from black. Booting Eudora, he scanned the messages he had quickly reviewed earlier on the Mac at home and began to respond to them. Some he answered, some he discarded, most he left for later because they were either not urgent or required more thought than he had time for at the moment. When he finished, he headed off to a series of inordinately boring meetings that started at 8, during which he finished a few of the remaining email messages with his Palm Pilot. He also brought up the text-based voicemail message that he had saved that morning, read it over carefully, and responded. So the meetings weren't a complete waste, he decided. In the last one, however, he was asked to generate a report showing the results of a variety of business scenarios that could occur given certain circumstances. Using the need to get started as an excuse to leave the meeting, he beat a hasty retreat to his desk where he set up the decision point software, plugged in the necessary parameters, and set the system to its task. He smiled as he thought about what it used to take in the way of machine resources to run this kind of application. They used to have to run them at night, and then only with permission because they were such resource hogs. The machine generated the report. Printing it, he wandered off to the cafeteria to have one more cup of coffee and look it over before turning it to over to those who had requested it in the first place. Shortly after lunch, 
Dennis shut down his PC, said goodbye to a few people, and drove to the airport. He was on his way to Madrid for a meeting with clients who had semiconductor manufacturing operations on the south side of the city. Upon arrival in Madrid, he passed through passport control and customs without incident, hailed a cab, and headed downtown to his hotel. Recognizing him as a frequent visitor, the desk clerk checked him into an upgraded business suite and promised to have his bag sent up immediately. Dennis thanked him, picked up his briefcase, and headed for the elevator. The room was nicely appointed, airy and spacious with a nice view, and a modern PC on the desk. When the bags arrived, he unpacked and hung up his clothes and jumped into a steaming hot shower. It was early in the morning in Madrid, and he was exhausted, so he hung the Do Not Disturb sign on the door and jumped into bed for a quick nap. He knew that this would be a late night, and he'd never make it without some sleep. In what seemed like only a few minutes, his cell phone jarred him awake. Groggily, he looked at the clock and saw that he had been asleep for nearly five hours. Answering the phone, he heard the telltale voice of his old friend Manuel. So, are you here yet? Let's go. Time's wasting. I have reservations for dinner this evening downtown, after which we're going to a flamenco show that some friends are putting on. Did you sleep? I just transmitted the GPS coordinates to you, so no excuses this time about getting lost. Dennis promised to meet Manuel at the scheduled time. After a long walk, Dennis returned to his room and powered up the PC on the desk. He entered his login ID and password in the appropriate fields and pressed his thumb against the biometric pad located adjacent to the keyboard. After a few seconds, his files and applications appeared on the hotel machine, mirroring his machine at home. Hal's voice informed him that this machine was as alive and well as the Mac in his kitchen had at home, so he booted Outlook Express and checked messages. Luckily, there weren't many. The few that had come in could wait until the next day. Satisfied, he grabbed a light jacket, left the hotel, and hailed a taxi to meet Manuel for dinner. The next morning, he went to the office for the scheduled client meetings, which went very well. He finished around 5 p.m. and decided to walk back to his hotel. It was an enjoyable walk, a warm day, but his reverie was broken by a soft beep from his palm pilot. Opening it, he found a message on the screen. Reminder, buy sword for Sam. Basque paprika and saffron for Helen. All available at Hoya Sevilla, one block up on right. 15% discount for American Express purchases. He had forgotten about the gifts he wanted to pick up. As he headed toward the recommended store, another message popped up on the screen. It said, Message from Download Service. 28 pages remain unread of current ebook. You have asked to be notified of availability dates of new works by selected authors. Would you like to download them now? Responding to the message, he put the PDA back in his pocket. Arriving at the store, he found and bought the gifts his Palm Pilot had reminded him about. Okay, enough. Palm Pilot, really? And 3.2 megabytes of storage remaining? And Eudora? Okay, I'm pretty sure that most people today have no idea what a Palm Pilot is, or Eudora, for that matter, or that there actually was a time when iPhones didn't exist, or that 3.2 megabytes of remaining storage was not a problem. I still have my first Mac in the closet over there. It still works, and it has a 40 megabyte hard drive. When I got it, I remember thinking that that was more storage than I would ever need, ever. Today, a single photograph from my Nikon wouldn't fit on it. So why did I read you that little essay from the IMS book and then take you on a walk down memory lane? Well, because I want you to understand that the concept of universal connectivity 
with a goal of enhancing how we live and work isn't new. In fact, here's another essay, one I just completed. Pay very close attention to just how similar the stories are, even though they were written more than a decade and a half apart. Other than the seamlessness of the technology, not to mention its sophistication, not all that much has changed. Here we go. From the road, Scarlet Harvest Vineyard looks pretty much like every other southern Arizona vineyard, a small patch of green struggling to survive in the brown vastness of the surrounding Sonora Desert. Water pipes run here and there like a miniature refinery. A few small outbuildings provide shade for tools, vehicles, and the chemistry of commercial agriculture. A few workers move slowly in the oppressive midday heat. Nothing to see here. Keep driving. But if you were to stop and take a walk through the vineyard, wandering up and down the spaces between the vines, you'd soon realize that there's more to the place than meets the casual eye. Protruding from the leafy canopies of the mixed varietals of the vineyard are sensors that measure heat and sunlight intensity. Below the canopies are sensors that measure shade. Deep within the grape leaves are sensors that look suspiciously like grape leaves. They measure the presence of surface moisture since some vines like it while others don't. Too much moisture? Turn on the fans to dry the leaves. Weather stations fidget and spin on poles high above the plants. The network of PBC pipes that carries water and nutrients to the various regions of the vineyard is punctuated by servo control valves that allow flows to be instantly reconfigured as required. Every valve has a sensor on the ingress side, another on the egress side. The two values are compared constantly in real time by the small computer that runs the vineyard. As long as both sensors show the same reading, as long as the gazenta matches the gazauta, life, as they say, is copacetic. But if the ingress side shows the valve to be open and the egress side shows no flow, the differential causes action. Reroute the flow, generate a trouble report, send a text to the farmer. Every few yards, iron pipes, an inch in diameter, protrude a few inches from the ground. They're topped with wireless sending units, and the pipes are driven 40 inches into the soil. But look closely. The pipes are perforated, with holes along their length spaced about an inch apart. These pipes are sophisticated sensors that measure soil moisture. But more than that, they measure the depth at which the plants actually drink. Malbec vines, for example, might drink at 30 inches, while Cabernets drink at 22. So for the cabs, the vineyard waters until moisture reaches 22 inches and stops, but gives more water to the Malbecs. The result? A massive reduction in water use and healthier, more productive plants, not to mention the wonderful environmental impact of saving many acre-feet of water over the course of a year. Over here in this corner of the vineyard, we find a small plastic box, about three inches on a side, hanging from one of the supporting wires that run between the plants. It has no walls. It's open except for the corner pillars that attach the bottom of the box to the top. Inside is a tiny piezoelectric microphone, tuned to hear the distinctive frequency of insect wing beats. When a flying insect goes through or near the box, the microphone hears it, and compares the frequency to values stored in a local database. 200 hertz? That's a housefly. Ignore it. 265 hertz? That's a thrip, so send a notification. Valves open and close, liquids flow, sprayers are activated in one tiny corner of the vineyard. Problem solved. 
with minimal chemical use. Meanwhile, sensors in the ground perform real-time analysis of soil and water mineral content, pH and chemical impurities, thus serving as an early warning system for the farmer. If something goes wrong, she'll know it before the plants do and take action to mitigate. Unless, of course, she doesn't. She certainly can. But why not let the vineyard do it autonomously? Meanwhile, drones launch and land periodically, autonomously, monitoring perimeter security, checking the color of the fruit, sending data back to the small computer that runs things. Two stories, one written in 2006, the other in 2022, both speak to our expanding relationship with technology. There's so much fear and hype and myth and legend surrounding technology today, especially worries about how it can displace humans in the value chain and how it makes it so much easier for ne'er-do-wells to invade our privacy and prey on our all-too-human weaknesses. And yes, there will, of course, be some job responsibilities that will use technology, robotic or otherwise, to replace people. I'm pretty sure, though, that we don't have too many people around anymore sitting in a barn in front of a butter churn. A machine does that now, and the person does other things that make better use of their time. In that sense, what we're seeing more than anything else is tech being used to augment our ability to do our jobs and live our lives. When my friend Dennis went about his life and his work in the first story, the IMS technology surrounded him in a layer of capability that made it possible for him to focus on the important things more effectively and efficiently. In our later story, Technology has the ability to automate the entire vineyard, or not. If a sensor in a remote corner of the vineyard detects a damaging insect by virtue of the frequency of its wing beats, and no human hears it, does the insect not exist? I don't think so. But the vineyard deals with the problem autonomously, properly, with minimal environmental impact, and then notifies the farmer after the fact. The farmer can do other more important things problem solved. In the world of time management, there are two variables that really matter, importance and urgency. How much of your day do you eat up doing things that are unimportant and low on the urgency scale? Studies show that it's a lot higher than we realize, but it makes us feel good because we're busy, mindlessly busy, but busy. So I guess my question is this, we spend an awful lot of time these days worrying about the things that technology is going to take away from us in terms of how we spend our days working and living. Is that really the right question to ask? I don't think so. A better question, a question that leads to a far more useful and productive answer is this. If I can shed some of my daily tasks onto the shoulders of a technology-based partner, robotic or otherwise, tasks that require little in the way of intellectual engagement, what could I do with the time I get back to make a real difference? That's the question we need to be asking. Hey, thanks for dropping by. I'm Steve Shepard, the host of the Natural Curiosity Project, where we're committed to the idea that curiosity leads to discovery, discovery leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insight, and insight leads to understanding. In every episode, we explore some topic that piqued our curiosity enough to make us want to share it with you. I hope you enjoy the journey. And if you did, I'd appreciate it if you'd leave a comment over at iTunes or SoundCloud, wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you very much. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.